Hello, I'm Jeremy McMahon, meditation teacher, Tibetan Buddhist scholar, and audio engineer. And welcome to Meditating with Friends, a podcast where we explore meditation through friendly conversation. Each episode includes a guided meditation that you are invited to join. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in working with me one-on-one to help deepen your meditation practice, check out my website, jeremymcmindfulness.com. Now, enjoy the show. What up, mindful gang, mind gang? Still working on that. Trying to figure out a name for my fans. But uh, anyway, it's your boy, Jeremy McMindfulness here. Another amazing episode of Meditating with Friends. Hold on one second. Let me grab my notes. All right. Uh, So this week, we are talking to my good friend, Guy Carmelli, who uh, we both went to high school and college together. Um, But Guy, one of my oldest friends, one of my best friends. Uh, But we have have Guy here today, and he's a bartender based in Chicago. Uh, He's got an Instagram dedicated to his cocktails and mixology called Guy Spirits. Uh, He also just started a cocktail delivery service actually based in Chicago called Warm Regards Cocktails. Uh, you can check out their Instagram just at Warm Regard, Warm Regards Cocktails. But All the links are below for sure. Um, and yeah, we had a f- great conversation. Uh, so it's kind of funny to be talking to a bartender on a meditation podcast. And I know that that's pretty funny. Uh, but I still think <laughs> I still think we found a lot of crossover there. We definitely talk about intoxicants, which is a theme in Buddhism, or rather, not doing intoxicants is a theme in Buddhism. Uh, we also talk about the joys of experiential learning, which I feel mindfulness meditation is an experiential learning experience, uh, and then also the power of oral traditions. Uh, so again, a really great conversation. You're going to want to stick around for this one for sure. Uh, just wanted to mention my highlight of the week uh, as my way of giving you insight into my life and a way for me to practice gratitude. Uh, I'd say the highlight of my past week is that I had two really great uh, jam sessions with two of my really, really good friends at different times. Uh, but we just felt like super, or at least I felt like super locked into the groove and it just like, just was awesome. So That's my highlight, my personal highlight. And then I just wanted to give a quick shout out um, to Meditating for Black Lives. Uh, They're a fantastic organization, a Brooklyn-based organization, uh, and they are offering meditations um, every weekend this weekend, every weekend this month, (laughs) every weekend this month. Uh, at Swivel Gallery uh, on Nostrum Boulevard. So if you are in Brooklyn um, or in New York or wherever and you still want to make it out, uh, please come to these meditations. Uh, I'll be at the one tomorrow at 1 p.m. So just so you know, it is May 14th 
Friday, May 14th. So I'll be at the one 1 p.m. 5.15 tomorrow. Um, they are at Swivel Gallery. Uh, the website is swivelgallery.com. You can go there to reserve a ticket, and it is free. Also, if you just want to check out the organization, uh, meditatingforblacklives.org. That's their website. Go them. Go there. Give them all of your money. All of it. They deserve it. Uh, so, yeah. Another fantastic show. Hope you enjoy it. Hope to see you at the meditation tomorrow. And uh, I'll catch you later. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Meditating with Friends. It is your host and your friend, uh, Jeremy McMindfulness. And I'm here with Guy Carmelli today. Guy, how are you doing? I'm good, man. It's good to hear your voice. Good to hear your voice too. <laughs> Guy and I go pretty far back. Uh, we went. Not only did we go to college together, we went to high school and college together, and uh, we actually were even uh, roommates my senior year of college at uh, William and Mary. Shout out Tribe Pride. <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway, so Guy and I, you know, we've always. Uh, gotten along and we've always had a similar interest in music you know uh, <laughs> like everybody I've had on this podcast it feels like a musician <laughs> but um, uh, and also you know we've always had great discussions about uh, religion and spirituality so I thought he'd be a great person to have on the podcast um, so thank you for being here guy oh dude thanks for the invite appreciate it yeah, no problem. So, uh, what have you been up to lately, guy? I hear you have a new uh, Instagram account that is uh, blowing up right now. Well, uh, that's a nice <laughs> way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I've been—I uh, bartend. That's my job right now. Um, it's what keeps me busy when I'm not playing music. So, mm -hmm. uh, I started a cocktail delivery business with a buddy of mine. Um, so we do that. We're based in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, been delivering cocktails all around the city and. Um, working on new recipes, cool infusions and stuff. Like it's been, been a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Well, I, like, cause for me, it was kind of funny, you know, just having to know, know you so long to, to see you like kind of finally end up as a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> cause know? I've always enjoyed drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've known that for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could maybe tell the story cause it, t to me, you know, at least maybe this is just my impression of being outside of the bartender world. I mean, it's like generally most bartenders I know, like get into that shit pretty early. Right. But it seems yeah. like you kind of came across it a little later. So I'm just, yeah, curious how you kind of like fell into it. Well, um, I mean, I left DC. I'd been working in DC at like various different professional jobs. I'd been a consultant and I'd done fundraising for nonprofits and just like all sorts of different suit and tie gigs and just wasn't really loving any of them and mm -hmm. not really feeling like I was excelling at any of them, you know, um, mm -hmm. and left DC, ended up, you know, ended up leaving DC and coming to Chicago. And, um, yeah, I kind of fell into bartending. Um, I don't know. It's just something I've kind of wanted to do for a while. I figured the money would be better than any of the other kind of like entry level gigs that I could find. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also partially, I think it was like moving to Chicago, not really knowing many people here. I've, I wanted the social aspect of it, you know, like mm -hmm. being able to talk to people and like meet folks. Um, you know, you, you made a great swath of humanity working behind the bar. So yeah, um, for sure. It's kind of cool. And, uh, I've, it's one of the things I really enjoy about it, actually. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Um, and uh, also, 
you move. I mean, we all know you really moved back to Chicago so that you could drink uh, all the Malort in the world. Well, that <laughs> I didn't know that until I moved here. Um, but yes, that's become a, a recent a recent goal is just to spread the gospel of Malort and uh, its health benefits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, and it's got herbs in it. You know, sure, herbs, it's a, herbs are good. by the FDA. So. Yeah. <laughs> or at least is they haven't really. They haven't banned it yet. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really, I, I mean, I've, I think I've only ever had Malort with you, but I, I do enjoy it, and uh, I, I, I'd recommend uh, all of you out there to give Malort a try. Uh, give it, give it some love. Do you make cocktails with Malort at all? Sure. Yeah, I made a margarita with Malort the other day oh. for somebody who was looking for one. It was pretty good. Um, oh, I know. Well. Oh, I use mostly tequila and then a little bit of. Malort to give it like a grapefruit flavor, but um, the guy liked it, man. So I don't know what you're complaining about. No, I no, I'm, <laughs> I I think that sounds awesome. Like yeah. I, those are groans of like of desire, okay. <laughs> not groans of like oh, it's groans of like oh man, I, I like a Homer do. Simpson kind of drooling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd totally, I would totally be into that. And yeah. um, uh, I mean, what? Tell me some other cocktails that you've made, or some some um, highlights. Yeah, cause... some of the stuff we've been working on lately. Like, um, I've been using Baijiu a lot, which is a Chinese liquor. Um, oh, we've whoa. been getting this stuff in from a distillery called Ming River, which has like been continuously operating for like eight hundred, nine hundred years or something. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, like <laughs> a little bit, long, like twice as long as the U.S. has been an idea. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty wild. Um, I really like, you know, it's like it's a new spirit, it's something, it's a new flavor, it's something new for me to explore and to learn about. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's something I've really enjoyed too. Is it like, I don't know, I feel like, uh, especially, I mean, I don't have to tell you, going to William and Mary, sometimes learning can be uh, made to be a bit of a chore. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, um, and I feel like that's one of the things I kind of lost in recent years, especially living in DC, was like my desire to learn and my passion for for like educating myself and, you know, Mm -hmm. for, um, diving deep into new topics. And so this isn't one that I guess most people would think of as like particularly professional or whatever, Mm -hmm. especially compared to the, the suit and tie stuff. But, um, I don't know, man, I learn something new every day and, uh, and that's my favorite part, I think. So that's, yeah. I mean, I think that's really awesome. And like, I mean, just, I can hear it in your voice, like the enthusiasm for it and like how, like yeah you're learning about this new chinese well not new old chinese liquor (laughs) but new to you and like just uh, you know kind of the joy of learning through like experiential learning rather than like reading a book like you know you're you get this new uh liquor and you know you're like you try it by itself and then you get to play around with it right yeah and you get to see how other like how other people react to it like for example like for me i get a lot of like pineapple and like rotted fruit flavors Uh um which are delicious and sweet but some people say they get like blue cheese from the same you know the same spirit and it's like all right interesting like what what am I missing? You know, how am I? Yeah. So, um, but it's been mainly rum too. Besides that, it's, we're definitely a rum bar. So I've been learning a ton about rum, which is awesome. Right. Which is something 
for me personally, I mean, I've just like never been that into rum. So, you know, one of these days, one of these days, maybe you'll have to, you have to give me a proper rum education. We'll we'll hang out and I'll make some daiquiris for sure. Yeah. I would would love that. (laughs) Um, But what you're talking about too, with like this kind of uh, playful approach to, to learning, um, I think is very relevant for meditation actually. Um, because I think people get too caught up in their head a lot of the times about like, am I doing this meditation right? Like, well, first of all, like what meditation should I be doing? You know, right. cause there's so many out there and then, you know, am I doing the meditation right? You know? And like that, I think those two things like really hold people back in terms of like, um, not only progressing, but even just like starting their own practice. Like they're too worried about doing it wrong. So, you know, they, right. they'd rather do nothing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I can, I can admit for myself, that's been true. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. been times where I've struggled to be like, well, I know meditation would be good for me, but I, I don't think I would do it right. So, you know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've struggled with that too. I mean, I think that's something that every, you know, meditator at some point, comes across and i mean i still like even struggle with it at certain times uh but like i but i think just having that kind of sense of like exploration and that sense of play and being like all right well i just learned this new meditation let me just like try it out and like maybe i won't do it like you know a hundred percent correct but you know sure but even still i think having that will and that effort and that Kind of that intention. I mean, I always, <laughs> you know, I always, whatever I say, intention. I think of the white yoga lady at the front of the class being right. like, "Now set your intention for for your class today." And but it, you know, intention is really important. Yeah, and it's a powerful tool for sure. So yeah, so I think yeah, I really like that kind of approach that you're taking to to exploring these cocktails and exploring these flavors. Yeah, I mean, especially like the. I think for me, it's actually been a really nice uh, avenue, right, to explore these things and to be able to like let loose a little bit and feel mm-hmm. like, because a lot of times I think it's not just meditation, right, that perfectionism has kept me from making any sort of headway, right, that I've like, yeah, yeah it's obviously, <laughs> you know, like I've got <laughs> millions of half songs, right, yeah, but, you know, um, <laughs> that I've never shared with anybody because I don't think they're any good because, you know, whatever reason, but mm-hmm. um yeah, I think that's one of the things that's nice about working at a bar and like with cocktails, like what's, you know, what's the worst thing that happens is I make a drink that doesn't taste very good. And yeah. you know, at the end of the day, like those are pretty low stakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so it's been really helpful to me to just be like, well, fuck it. I mean, you know, I'll just go for it and, you know, swing for the fences and uh, and yeah, I think that's translated into other aspects of the life too. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's that quote, like perfectionism is the enemy of, of the good or something for sure. like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Or like yeah. done is better than none. Right. Like that's, that's been really helpful. Oh yeah. And you know, again, at the end of the day, even if you make a awful tasting drink, I bet it will still get you drunk. <laughs> well, and, I mean, that's another thing too, is like that being a little drunk or like that helps be playful, right? Like I think yeah. it's, as adults or as Americans, we don't really have play. I mean, there's like, mm-hmm. you know, sex and kinks and things like that. But like outside of that, there's not really like an avenue where people get to use their imagination and get to like play like kids do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think altered states like, you know, being a little drunk or, uh, 
meditating and dissociating in a certain regard. You know what I mean? Like these can mm-hmm. be helpful ways, helpful tools to like open, I don't know. I don't want to say like perceptions, but just, you know, different ways of doing things, you know? Oh yeah. I totally agree. And actually that reminds me, have you seen, um, another round? Have you heard of that movie? No, it's, uh, it's, it was nominated for best picture. I think this year, oh. Though that okay. nobody, yeah, nobody watched the Oscars. Yeah, um, sorry, but, <laughs> no, it wasn't because of COVID. I just never watched the Oscars. <laughs> no, it's fine. I didn't. I didn't watch it either. I was like, I was. It was funny because literally the day of the Oscars, I was like, it's weird. I thought the Oscars would have like happened by now, and then like the next day, I checked the news, and they're like, yesterday the Oscars. And I was uh, like, oh. But this movie, um, it's called um, Another Round. It's a Danish movie. It's got Maz Mikkelsen in it. Oh, yeah. He's a great uh, actor. Yeah, he's awesome. And the whole premise of this movie is that it's like four teachers at like a or Danish oh, high school. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did hear about this. Yeah. And that they, uh, you know, some psychologists had a theory that like humans are born with a blood alcohol deficiency of 0.05% so that we actually function at our optimal, uh, we function optimally when we have a blood alcohol level of 0.05%. Okay. So they just try to like maintain that, you know? And I mean, like, it, like I'm, I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah. But of course, but of course, of course the whole thing uh is that uh you know, they take it too far. They're sure. like, "Oh, I feel great," you know, and then they take it too far, blah blah yeah. blah, blah, and it like, you know, uh doesn't end well. Drama happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they go through drama. I say it has kind of like a, a good I wouldn't say happy and I mean it is Danish, you know. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, a happy ending like at least has some positive thing and it doesn't like you know it doesn't end on like any moralistic you know like alcohol is bad or alcohol is great you know type of thing okay. it just kind of like ends up being like this is sort of what it is and it's like and it is like I, now that i'm thinking about it it's like it's kind of like you know it is there's something to it in terms of like the play and the celebration aspects of it and mm-hmm. like you know, but of course, like anything, it's like if you take that too far, you know, it's no good. Right. Right. Um, it's about but balance, right? It's about balance. And that's, again, you know, Buddhism 101, all about the middle way, the middle path. Um, but I think, you know, we have, <laughs> since we've uh, been exalting the virtues of booze, uh, we should talk about um because i'm sure if there's any buddhists listening they're going to be like well what about intoxicants what about that rule and so just a little background um generally lay buddhist practitioners they uh take a vow or like the five moral rules that they're supposed to follow is um no lying, no stealing, no killing, no sexual misconduct, and no intoxicants. Um, so, Guy, what have you, have you heard about the no intoxicants rule in Buddhism? And um, you- yeah, I've heard about. I mean, just briefly as one of the five, and um, you know, it's not the only religious tradition, right? I mean, I think uh, Muslims, right? Alcohol is yeah. is uh, is forbidden, and. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, amongst Judaism, it's not like, amongst Jews, it's not like alcoholism is like, you know, we, we use wine in certain religious 
rites, but it's not a. Uh, Although now that I think about it, there's Purim where we're yeah. exalted to drink. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> but that's one day a year. It's yeah. one day a year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it makes sense, right? That like religious groups would want to keep their followers from having access to these intoxicants, which may provide them with like alternative alternative. Um, alternative pathways to the sacred or mm-hmm. alternative visions of the sacred. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So to me, it seems like a, an obvious like control thing, but I'm very cynical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I can, uh, I can vouch for that. <laughs> it's very cynical. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, you know, there, there's certainly, at times there's a control aspect to it and you know and when it when when it comes to buddhism of course you know it's the answer is like what does no intoxicant mean like is uh fairly complicated uh but you know we can get into the nuances of it because that's what we're here for sure and i feel like buddhism has like at least more than the abrahamic tradition has more of like an an aesthetic Uh uh-huh or ascetic, I'm sorry. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I always get those two, yeah. two confused. <laughs> An ascetic tradition where you know, I guess like less consumption is um, is considered to be a positive thing, right? Like you're you're not supposed to just consume mindlessly, right? So well, that yeah. would make sense. That you know, intoxicants, like obviously drinking to the point of excess, isn't good, mm-hmm. no matter what religion you follow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I could, yeah, in that regards, it seems like a way to protect their followers as well. But, you know, I can understand yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's jump into it. I mean, the, uh, the original of what, from what I was told by my meditation teacher, really the original rule for no intoxicants comes from uh, Soma use. Okay. And uh, you know about Soma, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you care, care to tell the people what Soma is? Well, it was, it's mentioned in the Gita, right? Well, it's, it's mentioned in the Vedas. In the Vedas. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it was an intoxicant. I think it was supposed to like help people sleep and help them reach like, uh, the level of the gods and for mm-hmm. them to be, yeah. So that would, they would have visions, uh, I think during slumber. Um, so right. I don't know if, if, I mean, you would obviously, I think know better than I would if they figured out specifically what the plant was or what the, you know, the intoxicants were. They haven't. They haven't figured it out. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So soma was this drug that was used by the Brahmin priests um, in Vedic times. So just to back up, uh, Veda. The Vedas are what are the considered the earliest quote unquote Hindu texts, um, and they actually weren't texts. They were well originally they were orally transmitted. Um, and so there are a bunch of these rituals, right? Um, and the earliest, earliest forms of the Vedas, all the rituals are, uh, pretty much like standard rituals in terms of like making, you know, the, the sunrise, making the rainfall, you know, uh, making the crops grow, you know, like just kind of, it was all about maintaining order. Like you make these offerings and these sacrifices to maintain cosmic order. So like things keep happening. Um, and one of the main things that they use in these rituals was Soma, this drug that has been lost, lost to the sands of time. 
and yeah, I mean, I think there's different descriptions of it, of the readings of, of like its effects. And I think, you know, they're definitely, I've read, you know, the, about like the dream visions and, um, you know, using it to help you sleep. But I've also like read that, you know, some people, some interpretations make the, make it sound like, uh, like, uh, speed, like an amphetamine type oh, of thing. Really? Yeah. And then other, and so, you know, other people think it's a mushroom, you know, other people think it's like ergot, you know, like yeah. er, early form of LSD and stuff. Sure. So nobody really knows. So, so that's like why the, it's hard to figure it out because the descriptions of the effects like vary so much. So traditionally in, uh, in Vedic culture, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that only the Brahmins were allowed to take Soma. If not only the Brahmins, then only the top three castes um, of the caste system. And so Buddhism, a big uh, kind of revolutionary idea within Buddhism is this dismissal of the caste system. Um, And so by dismissing the caste system and by dismissing, you know, the... uh, eminent authority of the Brahmins and their use of Soma, uh, they rejected using Soma. So they just took it out of the practice altogether. Yes. Okay. And they're also like, you know, it doesn't provide ultimate, you know, uh, an, an ultimate understanding of reality, like, you know, uh, a good solid meditation practice would. Um, so that was originally what it, meant um was when you say intoxicants and so just to make like a long long story short like that rule has just been interpreted so many different ways uh all over you know for the past 2500 years um so you know you definitely there definitely are buddhists and buddhist traditions that would heavily 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 you know discourage using alcohol sure um but there's also thoroughly buddhist cultures that um you know fully embrace uh an alcohol culture such as uh the tibetans you know yeah. <laughs> uh so like uh tibetans have a healthy drinking culture and uh did you know i've i don't know if i told you this story but did it did I ever tell you about how uh, PBR was supposedly the beer, the favored beer of the Tibetan aristocracy? No, <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me. It is blue ribbon. It, it did get so, a blue ribbon. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. it's the best of ribbon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when, when I was in Nepal, actually, uh, in the d- Tibetan neighborhood, uh, they have uh, in Kathmandu. They have a lot of shops that sell like a bunch of Chinese like goods because, you know, um, so they have like Chinese cigarettes and Chinese beer and they had PBR there. And I was like, what? (laughs) And uh, I asked Tinley, uh, Tinley Law, my uh, one of our like guides and language teachers. Uh, I was like, why? Oh, I was like, Paps Blue Ribbon, eh? Uh, He's like, oh, yeah, you know Paps? And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know Paps, baby. And he was like, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, that's what the Tibetan aristocracy loved to drink before the Chinese moved into Tibet. And I was like, huh. 
and now now like i was told that story like 10 years ago and now like i'm wondering if like is that even possible that the that the tibetan aristocracy got paps blue ribbons i mean I, they could probably get anything they're aristocracy man right it yeah. was like on a list of things that are hard to get pbr is not that high on the list like <laughs> yeah, yeah you could walk through an airport with a case of pbr and just yeah. like get on the plane they'd be like that's fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just had some guy like flying out yeah. to Tibet, like with a case of PBR under his arm. I uh, mean, well, that makes me feel better about moving to Kathmandu. At least I'll know one thing is familiar if I ever yeah. decide to move there. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between you a know, VPN and PBR, what else do I need? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're all set, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I guess just going back to wrap up the in my like intoxication. Yeah, yeah. intoxicant spiel uh is that some my personal meditation teacher basically told me that like you know like yeah you know it's been very interpreted in very different ways but like really what you should do uh is like do not have intoxicants before you're going to do anything dharmic you know, so like, yeah, no intoxicants before meditating, no intoxicants before going to see your llama or like something like that. Yeah. Um, so generally, that's that's the approach I do take um, personally when it comes to my Buddhism and to my practice. And, you know, I just meditate and then then I have a PBR. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that makes sense, right? Like humans it's an innate desire. It's an innate drive in living things to seek out like altered states. Like humans aren't the only ones who do it, you know, and adult sure. humans certainly aren't like mm -hmm. kids will spin around until they're dizzy and, you know, like mooses will go out and find like, you know, rotten apples that have been, you know, fermented. And, mm -hmm. you know, you like, you see, you see the examples of this all throughout nature. Um, animals, I mean, dolphins with like uh different poisonous fish right like yeah um i think it's a natural thing to to seek out altered states but um yeah to have a different like a a, a, a clear boundary between things yeah. that are sacred to you and although i will say like i don't think there is necessarily a clear boundary between the sacred and altered states right like sure sometimes that's when i feel the most close to god or to the sacred or you know whatever you want to call it mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, there are situations, of course, you know, where people, of course, you know, looking at human history where people have used, you know, various different intoxicants in ceremonial ways. And my meditation teacher actually told me that, like, he was like, at some point during your practice, I wish I could remember this better, but he was like, you know, it can be good to, like, get really drunk and like do this one buddhist thing you know because it will kind of like break you yeah you know yeah it breaks you out of your like logical thought patterns and it just shows you that you know that that mind states can shift and that they can shift incredibly wildly yeah uh, definitely and like of course uh you know, if you study the history of Buddhism in the United States in particular, it's like it's pretty inseparable from the history of psychedelics in, in the United States. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an explosion and in interest in both, right? Like in the late 50s, early 60s. 
Yeah, and you know, you'll find so many Buddhists, uh, you know, that are like, well, I took acid and mm -hmm. then that showed me the that, you know, reality isn't fixed. And so I needed to figure out, I need to explore it more. So, uh, you know, I, I found Buddhism. So, so I think in that way, you know, and in, intoxicants can, can be helpful, but of course, you know, they can also be dangerous too. And I think also just like, you know, using them willy nilly, uh, in a, in a kind of an unceremonial way, you know, is, is a, a lot of times where people get in danger. Like even with like people coming to a bar, like, I don't know, even that, at least there's like, you know, going to a bar and drinking is always going to be better than drinking by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Because there's accountability, right? There's people around you and, and hopefully a bartender who recognizes when you've been overserved. Right. And, but also just like the, the ceremonial aspects of it too, and kind of the ritual aspects of Well, like, that's actually, I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit because you were mentioning how the Vedas were passed down orally originally, uh -huh. um, which makes sense, right? There's a lot of early traditions that were passed down orally, but either we didn't have written language or, you know, these things didn't survive, whatever. But, um, I think like there's a lot of power in those, those oral traditions. It's not like most of the time they're not just spoken, right? There's like a rhythm mm -hmm. to them right? There's, oh, yeah. there's a, it's a chanting or a poem or something. Um, and I think there's power in that music, right? Like mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, the Catholic church has these melodies that have, you know, been passed down for hundreds of years and that, mm -hmm. you know, you'll, you'll say the same prayer and the same chant that your grandfather did. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's powerful. Um, yeah. And I think they knew that specifically, like there's, have you heard of the, the song Miserere, I think that's how it's pronounced. No, it was it was like music written for a specific psalm that only the very much like soma, right? Like only the highest caste of the church, only the highest priests were allowed mm -hmm. to hear it. And mm -hmm. Mozart actually heard it one time and mm. wrote the whole thing down. It's like oh, a two whoa. and a half hour piece of music or something. Yeah, it's this crazy story, and then shared it with everybody, like shared whoa. it across Europe, and it was this hugely powerful shift. And, you know, like this was something that before that, as opposed to getting rid of it out of the practice, like the Buddhists did with Soma, he kind of democratized it and said, well, like I'm sharing it with everybody, right? Whoa. Which is yeah. kind of like in, in essence, like uh, very much like what Martin Luther did, right? With or Martin Luther. Yeah. 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 With like, with the sacred itself, you know, like you don't mm -hmm. need this, you don't need this conduit. You can do it yourself. Um. So I don't know. I think like in that regard, music is the intoxicant, right? Yeah. Well, what this is making me thinking think of too is that I I need to actually go back and look into this. But uh, do you know much about the I Ching? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I mean, you get what it's about, right? Yeah. You know, it's like this Chinese book of changes, and you you know, it's kind of like tarot or something like yeah. that where you like, you, you ask it a question and then you, you throw your coins and then you figure out what your, you know, what passage you read. And then you read the passage like through the lens of the question and you, you know, it helps you think about it and kind of interpret it and figure it out. Right. I'm mostly familiar with it as a tool that like a lot of minimalist musicians use. Like I think Steve Reich and Philip Glass oh, yeah. would use it as a tool to like help it's uh, great. Compose music, right? That wasn't necessarily like uh, traditional or. You know. Yeah. 
It's super cool. I mean, if you've never tried it before, I would I would try it. I I, I haven't done it in a while, um, but I went through a phase actually with Mikkel and from Party Dark. Uh-huh. You know, we we ever before we would jam, um, we would <clears throat> we'd throw throw coins as we'd say, um, and you know make a pa- read the passage and sort of use that to inform our process in whatever way that we could. Interesting. Um, but uh, there's a one passage in the I Ching that talks about how either, and I can never remember exactly how it is, but it's either religion came out of theater or theater came out of religion. Yeah, I could definitely see that, right? <laughs> and and they talk about using music as like, you know, as this kind of powerful tool to like, to control people, basically. <laughs> I mean, it works. Like, yeah. There's, I mean, how many hokey, you know, stupid commercials do you watch on TV that like tug at your heartstrings because they got the strings coming in at the right time or Mm -hmm. the piano shifts to minor or something, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. these are tricks that are well known, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not, they're not secrets. Like they were, they used to be, but I think now we have enough knowledge or you can Google this stuff, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's this one Sufi mystic or as that he was a musician um and he said something about how music is the ultimate art form because it's the least idolatrous interesting (laughs) you know it's it's like it's so ethereal because it's not something you physically see that it's like it's the closest to god so you you can't like worship an idol that isn't a physical representation Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. yeah, I can see that logic. That makes sense. Yeah. Though I guess, you know, in modern pop music history, it's like that sound does become very much attached to an idol. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you know? like when I think of the Sufis, like I also think of like a different branch of his, like the, the whirling dervishes of, mm-hmm. uh, from Istanbul, whose practice, like they just, they spin for a, like a long time, maybe an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it creates these like delirious states that are, you know, in their, in their, it's an important part of their tradition. And they think it brings them closer to, to God or to the sacred or, you know, however you want to phrase it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess that has to be like, you need music for that. You know, you couldn't, you need the music to provide the rhythm. You can't just spin for an hour without something providing a backbeat. Oh yeah, for sure. They definitely have music, uh, for the, for the whirling dervishes. And Sufism is cool, man. I mean, I, I, you know, I did my research uh, project on uh, when I studied abroad comparing Sufism and, and Buddhism. And, right. Um, well, being kind of looking back at it and being kind of like, oh, that's a little new agey and hokey. <laughs> uh, I still think it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, too, uh, and then maybe we'll meditate after that, is that when you were talking about oral traditions and I was just thinking about how much bar culture is an oral tradition. Oh you yeah. Know, you yeah. Know? And like, I remember, you know, uh, surprise, surprise. I didn't grow up with my parents taking me to bars, no, no, <laughs> but yeah. so like when I, when I came, I can't even remember my, my parents either ever going to a bar, but like I, you know, when I came of age, and wanted to start going to bars like it was like this whole new like world for me and i just felt like i just had to learn this whole like new type of uh 
what's the word? I don't know. Just like new types of like manners and new types of like, uh, you know, ways to communicate of like how to get sure. a bartender's attention and stuff like that. And like, yeah. Yeah. Like a new, I mean, new forms of nonverbal communication, a new language. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, trying to catch the bartender's eye to bring you a drink and like all this mm. stuff. And especially, you know, if, if going to bars in New York and going to packed bars and like trying to figure that, yeah. that whole thing out, like, you know, and uh, it just seems like, yeah, there is this kind of like culture bar culture that gets like sustained you know through the ages or tavern culture maybe you know like that gets sustained through the ages uh through these like kind of oral traditions well it's interesting like like i live in chicago and there's like sixteen thousand bars here you know well <laughs> it's crazy like every corner there's a bar uh -huh. well and i think about that a lot like how like these these places are all being they're all sustained. You know what I mean? It's not like, yeah, a lot of bars open up, a lot of bars close down. That's in any mm -hmm. business, like especially food service. But some sure. of these little neighborhood corner bars have been here for 20 years, you know, and yeah. they're still owned by the same people or by the kids of the person. And it's like, it's, um, it's interesting because it's definitely not the same bar culture that most other cities have. Um, huh. so I think yeah. Chicago is like an interesting case, but, um, my mind in my mind it's just because it's so cold you got to like stop and have a drink every two blocks or you'll freeze to death. <laughs> but i don't know if that's you know the historic reason <laughs> well we're gonna take that as a as a working theory yeah. uh for for now but i was gonna say like i think it, it creates these like neighborhood cultures that are you know like chicago especially like a lot of the neighborhoods are they're tight-knit you know like mm -hmm. yeah part of it is the like you know, there are neighborhoods like there's, uh, you know, Puerto Rican neighborhood or an Indian neighborhood or, you know, a Mexican neighborhood or whatever, but like Polish neighborhood, like that's where I'm at right now. But a lot of it is just like, you don't have to be from that country to be included in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You just have to spend time there. You have to be part of the community, right? Yeah. And yeah. Bars, bars allow, that's a place where people can gather and, and share ideas. And I mean, it, like now I'm sounding a little, you know, like, a little lofty here right it's not always like a, a ben franklin situation where we're gathering to discuss yeah. huge ideas sometimes it's just stupid stuff you know yeah like yeah sure. but that's important too like humans need to laugh and relax and like i don't know i mean i think it's telling that alcohol now now that pot's being legalized this is a little bit less true but like alcohol and yeah. caffeine are the drugs that are legal in this country right because yeah caffeine makes us better workers and then alcohol lets us relax and forget about the crappy work week so yeah yeah totally um and yeah again even just like i still th the bar there's something about the space of it right that yeah. like kind of allows you to like you know to either <laughs> to either be ben franklin or to or to just be like you know an idiot with your friends you know yeah. it's like it's kind of like becomes this like space where like that is okay that is allowed to do that you know where it's so many spaces in our culture you know you're not really you're not really allowed to you have to be quiet you have to be stodgy you have to wear certain clothes yeah bars allow you to relax a bit more yeah and then the other thing i just want to throw this out to you because i've i've just thought this was so interesting was i was listening i don't even know what other podcasts i was listening to but and who it was but somebody brought up how it was such a cultural shift in europe when they stopped drinking alcohol in the morning and then switched to caffeine and sugar in the morning mm, yeah <laughs> and that's basically what like fueled 
colonialism. <laughs> yeah, they weren't just drunk all the time. Yeah, that yeah, totally then, makes sense. And then they were just like, they're like, I need more of this caffeine and sugar. Like, <laughs> you know, like, ah, you know. Look, I'm I'm not defending them, but have you tried caffeine and sugar? They're pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been trying to be like, you know, better about like doing like half-assed keto but shit. that's my whole point is that sugar is like the most addictive one there is and the the yeah. most readily available too especially when you oh, consider yeah. like how young we start kids on it i don't know oh, I mean, yeah it's uh it's yeah a little, a little scary <laughs> it's it's scary dude yeah i mean i've definitely definitely cut back i was at, at a one point i was at like a a bag of Haribo a day. <laughs> hey man, I've been there. Yeah, on the hard stuff, you know. Yeah. Sour Patch, whole yeah. pound pound of Sour Patch Kids. But dude, oh my god, I was <laughs> in, I just walked by it. I I was in Manhattan uh, for the first time, like hanging out in Manhattan the first time in like you know forever, and uh, I walked by. There's like a Sour Patch kids store in manhattan now i'm, on, like, I'm on my way yeah, i'll meet you there i'll meet you there um but cool so uh why don't why don't we meditate okay that sounds good and uh so you comfortable are you in a good position yeah i'm seated i've got my feet on the floor is that all cool. right that sounds perfect um now what types of meditations have you done in the past um, mostly like breathing meditations where I'll focus on my breath in and out, or, um, I've tried to do the ones where you like start at the top of your head and then relax like your body from the top down or from the toes mm -hmm. up. Um, honestly, like I am not great at, I think it's just my ADD. My brain is always racing. And so mm -hmm. like meditation is something that, uh, I struggle with cause I, uh, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. No, I mean, everybody sucks at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sweet. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the fun thing or the great equalizer. Um, but okay. So with that in mind, um, why don't we do uh, the body scan that sure. I normally like to do? And I like to do that for beginners because it gives you an opportunity to move your attention around a bit more um, okay. rather than like focusing on your breath, you know, and it's like you just have to keep your breath like right. or keep your focus on your breath. And that's like the only thing. So that's that's why I like to teach this, especially with, you know, uh, with beginners. And I'll generally I make this meditation about like 12 minutes, but I'll try to make it a little shorter um, because I think too like especially for beginners or people that struggle with meditation. I think just like starting out small is really uh, the best thing to do. Like, you know, try to meditate for like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. See, that's like, I never even thought that would be a possibility, you know? Yeah. And like, you can break it up into rounds, you know, like if you're going to do 20 minutes, like, you know, maybe do like four or five minute rounds or something like sets like that. at the gym. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, and that's been really helpful for me. And uh, yeah, I think it's a good it's a good practice. So, okay. So yeah, keep that in mind in the future. But cool. um, yeah, so why don't we get started? So at the sound of the bell, we will begin.
So now, we will place our awareness on our feet. Just noticing how our feet feel right now in this moment. Maybe they feel warm. Maybe they feel cold. Maybe you notice particular textures touching your feet. However your feet feel right now, just recognize that and become aware of that part of your body. Now, we'll bring our attention up to the seat where our body comes in contact with either the chair we're sitting in or the ground. Notice how you are held up and supported during your practice. Now, we'll bring our awareness up to the belly Begin to notice the subtle movements of the belly. As it follows the breath. Now, we'll raise our awareness up to our heart, to that space in the center of our chest. Feel in to this part of your body and become aware of it. Now, we'll bring our awareness up to the shoulders.
checking in with this part of our body. Just noticing how our shoulders feel right now in this moment. our awareness up to the back of the head, feeling the part of our body we're not often aware of. back down to our feet. Noticing the textures that are touching them. in contact with the chair we're sitting in. Now we'll bring our awareness up to our belly. feeling its subtle movements. Now we'll move our awareness up to our heart. Feeling into that space in the center of our chest. Now we'll bring our awareness up to the shoulders. Checking in with this part of our body. Now we'll bring our awareness up to the back of the head.
right, now we'll bring our awareness back down to our feet. to the seat. Next, we'll bring our awareness up to the belly. shoulders, and then to the back of the head. All right, in just a moment I will ring the bell, ending our meditation session. Once I ring the bell, I invite you to join me in a bow, dedicating all the merit that we've accrued today to the benefit of all sentient beings. Okay, I gotta figure out a mic placement so that I can uh, properly bow and not whack my head uh, into the microphone. Maybe you need uh, a dual mic setup. Yeah. Like overheads, you know? That would, that'd be sick. Get it going. Uh, yeah, oh, dude. <laughs> it's a tax write off. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, I'll have to say, uh, well, I wonder if Flu Hardy's going to listen to this because we li- Flu Hardy listened to the one with Eric and that yeah. got us talking and now he's kind of help he's helping me like set up my meditation business. Oh. So yeah, pretty cool. So shout out to Flu. Shout out um, to Flu Hardy forever, man. That guy is the best. Yeah, he's the best. Um, but how was that uh, meditation for you? That was great. Honestly, I feel uh, nice and calm and relaxed, but it was like I'm glad it's good to have a guide. I think that's my problem normally is that I, I just sit down without a, a guide and I expect it to go well. And, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you yeah. can't, you can't do that usually. So. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's starting out. It's like, it's really helpful to have a guide. And again, I think just to the, like, just to sort of combat that, like that feeling of like, Oh God, I'm doing this wrong. 
Yeah. Like, oh God, I'm not, I'm not, or, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I feel crazy. You know, well, like, I mean, honestly, like I saw that poll you put out the other day on Instagram asking if people listen to music while they meditate. Mm-hmm. And I like, I definitely do. So it's, it was wild to me that so many people answered that they didn't, that they just meditated like in silence or with the, the sounds of the world around them. Cause that to yeah. me sounds incredibly distracting. Like I like having music to kind of gloss over almost as white noise, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't normally meditate with music, but I definitely have used noise as a crutch yeah. for kind of supporting and helping to block things out. Yeah. Um, Cause actually my my number one distraction in my meditation practice is generally when I sit down and meditate. The hardest thing for me to clear out of my mind is that I, I generally get a song stuck. Oh, in my of course. Head. Yeah, definitely. You one know, of those earworms. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so having a fan on or something like that helps me to block it out. But I was also surprised that it was rather low because I don't know. I just thought that meditation music, like, like a lot of people you like stream it on Spotify yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. So it I was, guess they it was, stream it like uh, just as background for other stuff while they're not meditating, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe that that's it. Um, but anyway, uh, I do have to run cause I do have another appointment after this, but it, this was awesome guy. Thank yeah, you so dude, much definitely. for being here. I feel like we could keep talking, but, uh, we'll just have to save it for another time. Yeah. We'll know? do a part two another time. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so if if you're in Chicago, check out the uh, the the delivery service. It's Warm Regards Cocktails, or you can follow me at Guy Spirits, G U Y S P I R I T S. Um, but thanks for the opportunity, man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, man. It was, I really enjoyed it and really thought this was an excellent conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll make sure to have you know your links down below. And uh, I want to try to get out to chicago sometime this summer Dude, you just let me know because honestly it's a great city you'd love it well the thing i've recently been enamored with how cheap train tickets are oh yeah and so like you know i could get a train to from new york to chicago for like 50 bucks i mean that's nothing yeah so like you know well i gotta get this other trip to virginia down under my belt first but yeah get that done i mean and also check out google flights like i found some really solid flight deals um and you know chicago new york are both like hubs there's plenty of flights leaving from both places to both places so that that is um, true i mean yeah the the train ride would be about 30 hours (laughs) yeah i was gonna say like it's it's that's the only problem Uh, yeah but then again like i don't know it might be kind of nice to see I don't know, Pennsylvania. Nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, you're nah. good. Yeah, I'm good. I've been to Pennsylvania before. Yeah, it's but, fine. But thanks, thanks, guy. And uh, to everyone listening out there, you know, uh, stay mindful, stay cool. Uh, if you're in Chicago, get a drink from Guy, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, take it easy, man. All right, see you. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Meditating with Friends. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about my meditation teachings and programs, check out my website, jeremymcmindfulness.com. 